Well, there's a, a book, a pretty, pretty cool book called Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't heard of this book, it's a fantasy book, probably the grandfather of all fantasy books. And um, there's a particular scene in the second section, the two towers. And the two main characters, Sam and Frodo, have been in the midst of this just incredible battle. And they're talking about all these great stories that have happened and the stories they heard as kids. And Sam turns to Frodo and says this great question. What sort of tale have we found ourselves into? What kind of tale have we fallen into? And I think for us, we sometimes think about that question. What kind of tale have we fallen into. We all want to be part of a big story. We want our lives to tell a bigger story, a better story. And I know for me, life gets really busy in the going-ons of life, and I don't even have time to reflect on what's been going on and what my life is even telling as a story. What story is my life telling? And we want to live better stories. But how do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at three game-changing tools to live a better story. How do we live a better story? So, now let's turn to Scripture here. We're in Luke 24, verse 13. Uh, As we looked at last week, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, The women have gone to the tomb and the tomb is empty. The angel says he is risen. And now there's two disciples that are presumably on their way home to Emmaus. Um, They're not one of the original 12 or the remaining 11. There are two of those followers kind of on the outside of the crowds that follow Jesus. And they're heading to Emmaus. So that's where we are right now. So verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. All right, I hate doing a sidebar after the first verse, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love this. So, seven miles from Jerusalem. Well, in the original language, it's 60 stadia. 60 stadia, which is the plural for stadion, which is 185 meters. And that's where we get the word stadium. And for, at that time, that was the size of their stadiums, one stadium. Anyway, cool fact. Now we'll go back to the scripture here. All right, um, 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. I love when Jesus or God asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He always knows something good is about to come. But uh, just to take the other side of it, we've got to remember that the disciples, um, this would have been a 
scary time. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times. The Romans and Jews are finding out that the tomb is empty and they're going to want to fix it. And now we have these disciples who seemingly very vulnerably just share everything that was going on. Um, not only in the last few days, but everything they've been thinking since they met Jesus. So here's, here's what they say back in 19. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So what's the first game-changing tool to help us live a better story? Well, just like um, Luke Skywalker didn't know that Obi-Wan Kenobi was his guide yet, these guys didn't recognize Jesus, and so we need a guide. And we need to invite this guide, we need to invite Jesus to walk onto the path of our life. We need to invite Jesus. Now, that might sound kind of Sunday school answer, like, what's the answer? Jesus! Now, just stay with me. I mean something very more particularly as we move into it. So now these disciples, they had no idea who this stranger was. We've got to remember that. The text tells us we know it's Jesus, but they don't know that. And they had just had all their dreams crushed, their hopes demolished. It says, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Past tense. Not any longer. They had lost all of it. And they're just spilling everything that they're thinking. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever encountered a person like this where, where they put all their hope in something or someone and it's been all crushed and they're just so demolished that when you talk to them, even as the first time you met them, they just somehow spill their whole story and they just spill everything that's going on in their heart and in their mind. And for me, when that's happened to me before, I feel pretty inadequate. How do I how do? I handle with this person? How would I say? What do I do? But there's a person that's never inadequate, and that's Jesus. See, Jesus loves us and wants to reveal himself to us. And we, a lot of times, in the stressful reasoning in our minds and the darkness and sadness that comes through life, we allow doubt to creep in and we can't see Jesus clearly just like they can't see Jesus here. But there is a particular way where we can invite him into this part, where when we can't see Jesus clearly, how do we do that? Well, we're gonna look at the first tool. It's an ancient practice, it's an ancient tool, something that's been used for thousands of years in the Christian church, and it's called imaginative contemplation. Imaginative contemplation. And this passage that we're looking at today is one of actually the most widely used passages to use this tool with. And you're going, okay, imaginative contemplation. Well, what is it? Well, like I said earlier, when we come to Scripture, we want to encounter God. We want Him to move us, to speak to us. We want to hear from Him, and then we respond to Him. 
And so what you do is when you go to scripture, you actually place yourself as one of the characters in the story or one of the characters on the periphery, maybe someone from the crowds. And as you do, you start to look at what's, what's the geography, what's the temperature. You start actually placing yourself into the scriptures, interacting with it. And there's really two aspects to this. You're inviting yourself onto the path that Jesus walked. You're inviting yourself onto his story. And as you do, you're curiously looking around and asking questions and wondering what was happening outside. And as you do this, you invite Jesus now to walk onto your road, onto your path, and he gets to speak into your life and the story that your life is writing. Okay, well, how do I do this with this scripture? You know, Jonathan, what are you saying? Well, there's two disciples on this path. There's Cleopas and there's, we don't know. Doesn't say. I have some thoughts about who it is, but I'm not going to say what I think on that just for the sake of the example today. But if you want to go do some searching later, your clue is in the book of John if you want to figure out who this unnamed disciple is. But um, we want to place ourselves to be the unnamed disciple in this story and walk and talking about what has happened and what could be. And you know, these women saying that the tomb was empty, but. I don't know, we haven't seen Jesus. And bring your heartbrokenness, your hopes, your dreams crushed to Jesus because we want to encounter Jesus and actually we need to encounter Jesus. And imagination is one of those things um, it, it, that's unique to us. Something God made us with, imagination. And imagination was actually, curiously enough, one of the things that uh, a famous author C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series, was one of the first things that deterred him from being a Christian, which imagine, was imagination. Um, he had a friendship with another famous author, J.R.R. Tolkien. We've talked about him already, Lord of the Rings. And they had this writing group which I can only think of as one of the most epic writing groups ever. I mean, we've got Lord of the Rings and Narnia together at this pub called The Eagle and the Child, meeting and sharing their stories with each other. But it, as God would have it, that relationship was important because C.S. Lewis was saying that he felt like Christianity was going to take the joy out of his life, was going to take away his love for stories, and that he was finding that most men... We're gaining more spiritual meaning from modern myths, the things that we make up now and the stories we make up now, than they were from the religions they professed to be true. And this bothered C.S. Lewis. And this is what Tolkien had to say to C.S. Lewis about this. Now when Tolkien talks, he talks in bigger words than I usually use, so just try to stay with me. Um, his problem lay not in his rational failure to understand God, but in his imaginative failure to grasp God's significance. That a worldview that included the story of Christ gave life more meaning, adventure, and romance, not less. 
This is something that I remember years ago coming across. There's, I, I absolutely love Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, Avengers, these just epic, amazing hero stories. And I came to realize the reason I connect with those is because they're mere shadows of the great story, God's story, the meta-narrative over history. And this, this is actually how Tolkien talks about this idea. He says, we have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light, the eternal truth that is God. Our myths may be misguided, but they steer, however shakily, toward the true harbor. And you see, the, the gospel, the risen King Jesus, is the best story that we can imagine ourselves in because it is true. Imagining ourselves in the biblical narrative is to find ourselves in the myth that is true. And all these modern stories can and sometimes do point to the story, the great story, the one that we find ourselves in. Remember, God is the creator and he gave us imagination. And we're to use this. And so, I didn't give you the full nuts and bolts in this, so I want to give you just a secondary tool here, uh, a secondary way of engaging with imaginative contemplation. There is an app, and it's called Pray As You Go. That's what it looks like if you search it on your phone. But if you need to, write Pray As You Go. And in this app, there'll be a thing that says Imaginative Contemplation Exercises. And this can be a way for you to engage Scripture in fresh, relational narrative ways and scripture will come alive you'll have a time to encounter jesus and bring what you need to to him Um, so i encourage you to try this out it can be a way for scripture to come alive but now we have imagination and we have jesus as our guide inviting him onto the path of our life and so now let's look to what jesus has to say when the disciples have brought everything to them. Now we're looking back um, at the text, and we're in verse uh, 25, and here we go. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, so we have the guide. What's the second thing we need? Well, we need a map. We need a bigger map. We need a better map. And we need to get closer to the window. All right, Jonathan, you just metaphored me to death. Just give me a little bit more. What what are you even talking about? Okay, so when I was in seminary, I had one of these professors uh, for all of my Old Testament cl- uh, books. So everything Old Testament I studied, one professor. And he had this particular way of asking us to uh, read the scripture. And the one thing that we had to do was we had to, each book, Genesis, Exodus, etc., we had to read in one sitting. I mean, you could use the bathroom or get a cup of tea, but you had to do it all in one sitting. And I remember thinking in the first class I took with them, I'm going, okay, I, I love Jesus. I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. I love his word. But Leviticus, 
one sitting, hair and pus and quarantine, like, come on, that's going to be crazy. But as you could probably imagine, um, it was a very transformative experience. Because in reading these books in one sitting, I started to feel and see things I'd never seen before. I started to see parallels, echoes of things, motifs moving throughout. There was this grand narrative happening above the entire book that I'd never seen when I only look at a couple of chapters. And here's the best part is that Jesus here in the passage isn't even just talking about one book. He's talking about the whole thing, the whole Bible, the whole kit and caboodle. Everything is one story pointing to him. It's all about him. And that's the whole reason uh, as a church and Pastor Henry, he wrote the Story of God class. You guys have probably heard of that before. If you're new, Story of God class is a way for you to get a framework for the entire Bible. To see how the Bible is telling one story and it all points to Jesus you know we need to remember these early disciples they had a great grasp of the Old Testament they were just saturated in it a lot of us were not and so this is a great way to look at the whole Bible, and if you want to grow closer to God and understand how you fit into his story and how Jesus and everything is about him, this is a thing for you to do. I mean, just even if you're just interested, write story of God on your comm card and hand it in. I mean, this is a game-changing class. But let's, let's come back. Um, okay, Jonathan, you mentioned a window. What's with the window? Um, so, uh, Famous author and theologian and Anglican priest N.T. Wright um, talks about this idea when he makes up of a worship service, the liturgy, what's going to happen when we gather together. He's always picking a section of scripture. And he talks about how when we look at a section of scripture, um, it is not for us to just focus just on that because then we're going to miss what we need to, but use that as a window by which to see the whole thing. So the portion of scripture we look at is just a window of seeing the whole story. And this idea of a window is kind of like this. He talks about being in a countryside, and this is just me with my phone. I'm not using any camera trickery. I'm standing about 20 feet away from a window, and when you look through the window, you see there's a little bit of grass here. There's a tree, looks like a house, maybe two, maybe a path here leading this way, and you start to see only certain things. But if you get closer to the window and you move your face up to it, then you start to see a grander landscape. You see that this tree is a lone one in the grass, that that path that we thought was a path is actually a road and there's a parking lot, must be at some type of building and those houses are part of a neighborhood. And what looked like completely gray sky actually has tinges of blue there and tinges of blue there. And the landscape looks differently. And so, This is what we need to do when we read scripture. We need to get closer to the window. And how do we do that? We have to know the whole thing. We have to know the whole story. The closer we are to the window, the bigger story we actually see. And the more we know of the whole story, the more we'll understand of each part. So let's let's get practical. Um, How do I get closer to the window? How do I see the bigger map? 
Well, the, the best answer I've heard to the question, how should I read the Bible? I love this answer. How should I read the Bible? Thoroughly and frequently. It's a great answer. Thoroughly and frequently. You see, when I was in high school, I was in a class, uh, sports and entertainment marketing. Yeah, they had that high school class. That was pretty cool. We played a lot of fantasy football. Um, but in that class, there was a guy who gave me a book called A Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. Now, at the time, um, I was a Christian. I lived in a Christ-centered home. I was going to church. But I had no idea who the stranger on the road to Emmaus was. I'm like, what is this book? I don't know why this guy gave it to me. I didn't read the book. Um, I, I grew up in churches, these small, charismatic, non-denominational churches that emphasized the new. They emphasized the new anointing, the new move of the Spirit, and the New Testament. And there were a lot of good things about that. For, for some reason, I always seemed to miss the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And had I interacted with that story, I would have seen how he said that the Moses and through the prophets and everything pointed to him. And I would have went, whoa. Because at the time, I, was, I grossly undervalued the Old Testament and how as part of this grand narrative in the, Jesus and the life of his followers following in that first century, there was something grander happening thousands of years prior through him in history all pointing to Jesus, making the story richer. And so how do we live this better story? Well, we need to know God's whole story because that's the story we have fallen into. And we need to read the whole thing thoroughly and frequently through the lens of Jesus, getting ourselves closer to the window. And so what's a step you could take? Well, maybe it's just committing to a spouse or a small group member that I'm going to read the Bible more. Maybe it's you're going to, with a friend, you're going to go through a book of the Bible and you're going to commit to each other, you're going to read the whole book in one sitting. Maybe start with a smaller book and then work up. Um, or maybe you want to look at the whole Bible in a year, as some people do, and maybe you want to do it differently, interact with it. Maybe you're feeling like, ah, oh, it's hard for me to find time. Well, one of the best ways I've gone through the Bible in the year is using Daily Audio Bible. Daily Audio Bible. It's an app on your phone. You can get it online as well. And it takes you through the whole Bible in the year, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs each day. And you listen to it. I love listening to things. And this is a new way to interact with Scripture. So I gave you a lot of choices, but... Move towards reading the Bible more thoroughly and frequently through the lens of Jesus. It's all about him. It all points to him. And this is how we can get closer to the window. This is how, as we invite Jesus, the guide, onto the path of our life, and we look at this bigger map, this bigger story, the thing that he has in mind, that this is how our life starts to live a better story. All right, now Jesus has said this, and now let's look at the disciples' response because Jesus has pretty much taken their face and smashed it up against the window and gone, guys, come on, you foolish ones, didn't you see this? You should have saw it. And then they're about to reach the village, and so now we're back in verse 28, 
And it says this, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Poof, he's gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So we have a guide and we invited him onto our path. And we have a bigger map as we get closer to the window in Scripture. And the third tool is that we need to tell our story as it's happening. A lot of times we want to clean up our story and tell it at the end. We need to tell our story as it's happening because as we tell our story, it allows us and gives us time to reflect on what is actually happening in our story, which allows us to move forward and live a better story. We need to be storytellers and tell our story because Jesus has changed everything here. He's defeated the ultimate darkness, death. And he's brought in a new world, a new kingdom, the glimpse of the new creation where he'll make everything right again. And he's done that here. We have a a new king, the king eternal, the infinite king, the risen from the dead king. And because that king has victory and he gives it to us, we have it too. And it changes our story. We need to tell others how our story is changing right now. You know, the disciples, part of their story, what happened is they saw Jesus vanish and then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. We got to remember, this was a multi-hour walk. It was now evening. This is a different time. And so that would have been pretty difficult. And they had such excitement and passion and urgency to go tell what Jesus was doing in their life. Because now they served the King Eternal. They served the risen from the dead king. So when we invite Jesus onto the, onto the road that we are on, when we get our face close to the window, when we embrace this new kingdom that he's brought in, a new king, our lives start to live a better story. And we need to tell others about what Jesus is doing in our life because two things happen when we do. Others are encouraged and Jesus shows up in big ways. Now, let me give you an example. Back into verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them by when they broke bread. And you just gotta imagine the excitement in this room telling you stories and the encouragement and the people that haven't seen Jesus going, what, are you kidding me? That's incredible. This is amazing. But what I didn't read, a sneak preview of next week is the very next verse, 36. Let's look at it. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
I mean, the excitement in this room is palatable. They're talking and saying, what if this? And oh, I want to see him and all of this. And all of a sudden in the middle of the room, Jesus goes, boo. Peace be with you. Now he doesn't say boo. I added that part. But it feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, they're just going crazy. And all of a sudden he's like, peace be with you. Like, where did he show up from? Just think how you would feel in this moment. And this is the story that we're invited into, the part that we have. And the thing is, what's happened here, uh, N.T. Wright says it this way, I love it. He says, Jesus is raised, therefore God's new world has begun, and therefore me, you, and everybody else are invited not only to be beneficiaries of that new world, but participants in making it happen. We're participants in it together and we are participants in what God is doing and making a new world, a new kingdom, moving towards new creation. And this is the story that we're invited everything we're invited into because everything that we have talked to up to this point has been things in our head through faith, moving them to our heart. But now this is moving it into action to our hands, from head to heart to hands. And that's what we get to do and participate in it. And we're recipients of this grace in this new world. We are to be storytellers. We're to tell this story and our story to others. Those who believe and those who do not. Because we have a king that's been enthroned forever. He's sown victory over death and we've been invited into his family and participants in making this new world, making everything right. Where it points to that new creation where he will do it all. And so we need to invite ourselves onto the path that Jesus walked. So in doing so, we invite him onto ours. And we need to know scripture thoroughly, old and new, the big picture, the big narrative. Get our faces closer to the window. And then we need to tell the story as it unfolds so that our lives can live a better story, being a part of the best story, the big story, the true story, God's story. See that the new kingdom that he brought in, the glimpse of the new creation that he's bringing in here had to happen because at the beginning of the story, all the way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, their first recorded meal, the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And this is what happened in Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Because of that first meal, shame entered. Creation oriented itself toward failure and death had come. But in today's passage, as we look, Jesus is bringing in this already not yet. It's a way for us to say that Jesus has brought his kingdom in which it's happening here and now in the hearts of men in our world, but it's not yet fully here. It's pointing towards when it will fully come in new creation. But it's a way that it's new, good, and beautiful kingdom. It's here now. It's here now. Because Jesus brings in the first meal of the new kingdom right here. Verse 31, Jesus broke bread, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, here's the thing, at the first meal of creation, eyes were opened and death had come to now the first meal of the new kingdom, the glimpse of the new creation, and death had been overcome. 
death had been overcome from meal to meal, pointing towards when everything will be made right again. And that's the reason we celebrate communion, the breaking of bread, remembering God's sacrifice, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, to remember this incredible story that he has done in human history that changes our lives, changes everything, and now given us the Holy Spirit to be participants in making the new kingdom happen, where God reigns now and forever. And so, in light of this story, in light of knowing that we get to be participants in it, I want us to take time to respond. Maybe it's in worship, maybe it's in quiet reflection, maybe it's in communion or prayer. Like I said earlier, there's so many ways we can respond and our response doesn't end here. It's a continual life of response to this incredible thing that God has done. Let's pray.